Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, where change agents and social sectors, businesses, communities, and faith meet at the intersection of story and belonging and local gifts. I'm your host, Troy Bronsink, from The Hive in Cincinnati, Ohio. The framework of our conversation is a relationship of three scholars whose lives work have impacted one another. Walter Brueggemann, Peter Block, and John McKnight are notable leaders in their own rights, and at this point in their career, their work has begun to influence the others. In fact, the friendship becomes a sort of model for how the common good shows up in tangible, everyday, local ways. Being quiet um, creates rest instead of restlessness. And I think that only rested people can do imagination. Walter Brueggemann, a highly published biblical scholar whose work is at the intersection of text and remembering and the prophetic imagination that it is required to relate in new ways to an alternative story. Peter Block has worked at the intersections of organizational behavior and community development, community organizing, noting how our very structure of belonging affects the uh, possibility that's in the room. And they are joined by John McKnight, who is both the founder and inventor of asset-based community development, as well as a, a, a real contributor to the conversation of the way that gifts show up in local ways, and that hospitality is a unique expression of community. To start today's episode, I've invited the three to share examples of how the common good shows up as a practice involving time particularly the stoppage and the slow time associated with the biblical image of Sabbath. We begin with Walter. Well, I think increasing numbers of people are, uh, are being drawn to Sabbath uh, just because they've uh, run as far as they can run in the rat race, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, I, I, I talked to a couple that said they decided to be very disciplined about the Sabbath, and what they were getting was hostility from their friends. Their friend did not want people dropping out of the rat race. And then Peter leans in with this. I think underlying this is the notion that the alternative narrative and the uh, abundant narrative, the wilderness, exists now. The future, any future that you're looking for, you can look for it in the present and find it. Because mm. everybody thinks it's a cataclysmic upheaval, turning. But I always believe that if it occurred to us, and uh, you, know, you, Walter, have said that once you imagine something, you've brought it into being. Now the world wants to see evidence of it, and then you say, well, it's happening in these three places. And the response is, but three isn't very many. <laughs> is it happening in 50 places? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, 50 still isn't taking it to scale. And so <laughs> right. the, it's the, the question, where is it happening, I always take as a scarcity question, That's longing right. for proof. That's right. And at the same time, it's a fair question. And so I'm meeting with a high-tech guy for lunch two weeks ago and uh, talking about the life. Uh, and he happens to mention from 6.30 to 9.30 every day he spends with his wife and children. He unplugs himself. And I said, I said, well, you've chosen to create your own Sabbath, your own work stoppage. <laughs> and he says, I have to do that for my own sanity and have a relationship. 
I said, what do you do at 9.30? He says, I replug myself in until 4 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But, he, but he knew yeah. that much that yeah. he had to. And here John begins to bring technology into the conversation. A year or two ago, a woman uh, contacted me and said she had read some, maybe, maybe this book. But she wanted to, to tell me that she had decided that she was no longer going to have in any way in her life uh, computers, internet, or that whole information system. And uh, that she had been doing that for two months. And it changed her life because she had time. Uh, the average American household has television on seven hours a day. Uh, when I'm interested in talking with people about uh, how can they get together on their block so that they can uh, become uh, a community that uh, grows their well-being, the most common reason for not doing that is I don't have any time. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you imagine that I am, I am sitting here with people who have no time, but they have seven hours a day right. <laughs> television on, and then I didn't even ask them about, about the computer. In my old age, I think that this whole question of the invasion of a counterfeit way of relating to each other, which is what I think the electronic world is, uh, is the most dangerous human development in, in centuries because of how it isolates people and makes people feel evermore, I have no time, I have no time. And in, in an even broader sense, the 20th century was filled with time-saving devices, technology, time-saving devices. Where did that time be saved? Where did it get banked? <laughs> yeah. It got banked in getting your technology instruments repaired. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But if you wanna if you wanna get people to laugh, ask them, what did you do with all the time that has been saved by yeah. the technology? Yeah, that. They'll immediately say yep. Didn't happen. You know? yep. So, I I think the enemy in our time of time is the counterfeit electronic way of relating. So often in these conversations about stoppage and about stillness, the question of technology comes up, which leads to this bigger or deeper question in our modern day, which is, uh, what is it like to cultivate silence in a time where we feel so isolated? in a time where uh, we have noise around us everywhere to keep us busy. And so John takes it up from there. Uh, there's a difference between silence that isolates you, mm -hmm. right? That is uh, relational question of silence than quiet. And I think what we're, what we're interested in is understanding the meaning of being quiet and having the time to be quiet. And that isn't silence. Silence is no sound, I'm alone. Yeah. Being quiet, um, 
creates rest instead of restlessness. And I think that only rested people can do imagination fruitfully. So the scheme of the predatory system is to keep us fatigued. Because if you're fatigued, all you can do is put one foot in front of another and not think of alternative places to put your feet. It is a productivity uh, question. Mm -hmm. Remember, I consulted once with a radio TV station. And uh, if there was silence, they called it dead air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would fire people yeah. for allowing dead, dead air, air. Yeah. to occur. Yeah. So I do think it's an assault on our productivity, the thought yeah. of being quiet, yeah. yep. of being unproductive. To me, the, the modern version of bricks is the, is the concept of productivity. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, and the purpose of productivity is to produce surplus. And our complaint about economic justice is that surplus is both unevenly distributed. Okay, who gets the surplus from my productivity? Yep. And we've forgotten that it spoils during the night. Yes. That's right. The people making money on money yep. are trying to keep the food yep. uh, edible during yep. the night. Yep. Yeah. By the way, General General uh, uh, Kelly uh, said that the dreamers were uh, so lazy they wouldn't get off their asses to register, which is a direct quote from Pharaoh. <laughs> That's what he says about the slaves. You're lazy, lazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the managers of the economy are always accusing the peons of productivity of not doing enough. Yeah. So many of us have wrestled with that tension between the laziness that we might feel inside of ourselves about realizing a certain type of career that's held up in a certain type of esteem and that sense of being a counterfeit, that sense of, uh, of selling out and being lost in another narrative. So I took the opportunity to ask these three gentlemen how that's played out in their own life. When have they had to, in a sense, unplug from the very career paths that led them to the place they were at and, uh, and what that process has been like for them. You know, I would hate to pretend that I dealt with that successfully. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the biggest thing that's changed in my life in these years is I decided not to leave town. And so I don't travel anymore for work. And uh, I've decided to care about the place I'm in. And I'm just as uh, obsessed with being productive and useful <laughs> without traveling as I was when I traveled. Yeah. And I haven't... Uh, it's, it's so pervasive in me. And, I, and I'm old enough that I do have the thought that will there ever be a day when I don't wonder whether I'm doing anything useful today? So I've, I've totally breathed in 
Yep. It's in my molecules. <laughs> yeah. It's a cancer that's spread throughout my body. <laughs> that uh, somehow my identity is wrapped up in being this. Yep. And even when I'm not, most of the things <laughs> I do, I do with a certain amount of interest and not much enthusiasm. <laughs> so I have little to show for it. You know, at least when I was traveling, I had so many days built. Yeah, right. so many talks given. <laughs> And now the day slips away, and you know, I've been worried about what I'm going to do all day. And once in a while, you know, uh, if I have a talk with Walter or John or something, I feel that's as good as it gets, which is a pathetic measure of outcome. <laughs> the bricks. Yeah. So I, I feel I, I just have the agent is giving me more control on what, what kind of bricks I want to make. Really, I, I think the, the distinction you make, though, I, th I think you intended to make it. The, the difference between being useful and being productive is a really important distinction, yes. even even if it still participates in the same uh, grid. And and for me, uh, uh, and and I share with you, it's still the disease of my life. Uh, but. Uh, the decision I made that I was not going to, in, in my uh, work and research, that I was not going to run with the hard men uh, was a very uh, liberating decision. And what that did was to permit me to do work that was really resonant with who I am rather than the expectation of the guild. Now, who, who are still, the hard men in your yeah. world? You want their names? <laughs> uh, you can give these are all people with Harvard degrees uh, who uh, set the norm for the field and are uh, brutalizing of everyone else. And I, uh, for a little while, uh, before I figured out that I couldn't compete with them and that I didn't want to compete with them and that I didn't have to compete with them, for a little while I competed with them. And it was a futile activity. So, but in, well, in some, what I did was to decide uh, that the church and not the guild was my habitat. Ah, uh, yeah. And that was emancipatory. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, yeah. Because, it, you know, these are of a package speed, time, audience, scale. Yeah. You know, and I've always dreamed of scale yeah. like I've dreamed many times of being called to the White House to give advice yes. <laughs> this is my idea of the top yes. Yes. <laughs> never to be in the White House but be called for advice so yes right and uh, I long for that <clears throat> and then at some point I too realized I'm not of that nature yep. I, I won't do that I've had a business for 39 years and it's the same size now it was 39 years ago. <laughs> and uh, it's not for lack of longing, it's just not my nature yep. to think. And so I think that part of the what we've inhaled is this notion of scale, notion of size, That's right. notion of speed, notion of celebrity. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, all three of us, I, in my mind, have become little cult he heroes. <laughs> and, and what's pathetic is that's been enough for me. <laughs> I, uh, I heard a, a musician once say, I'm now about to play a medley of my hit. 
I say thank you, Jesus. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Jesus, uh, (laughs) I wanted to to comment about scale. When you said quite a bit ago now, if it occurs in three places, one of Jesus' parables is that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And, and, And what the commentaries say is that when he said mustard seed, he picked out the smallest thing he could think of, that the kingdom of God is like that. But it will grow, or it has the capacity. I thought that was interesting. I think that's that's a great point. I believe that if it occurs once in the world, uh, it matters. It doesn't have to be replicated to be valued. And so the smallness of the seed is as large and important and revealing as any Solomon's temple. In the human world, scale. Uh, is a problem because at the point where I and my neighbors become so many in such a large area, then I don't really know them. There's a point where if I'm with 20 people and uh, our lives are somehow intersecting and acting, I begin to see what gifts they have. Uh, I remember being uh, in, in a church where when we put on the church supper, uh, there were probably 16 of us. And boy, it really went well. And the reason was we'd done it long enough that we each knew who was good at what. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it was like we were carpenters and plumbers and electricians. We each had a special gift that each of us could recognize, and out of that, the possibility that we could make our own world rather than be made by technology would emerge. I I see always, though, that there is a number of people which grows to that scale where that's impossible to know them, to have real knowledge about them. And at that point, what happens is they say, well, maybe we should hire somebody who will keep track of all of us. And that person then gets at the center and accrues more and more significance and power. And this is how associational life grows into institutional form. So I think that the scale question is absolutely central to community and associational life. And I think in Evanston, Illinois, where I live, there are five it's a town of 90,000 people, and there are five Episcopal churches. And the bishop, being a modern man, and thinking in triangular institutional ways, thought, how inefficient this is, right? And he thought that he would develop, 
help have a church plan or come in and help <laughs> these people <laughs> consolidate, right? <laughs> so not be running these five separate things when the efficiencies you could get if you get them down to three would really be significant. Why the town exploded, <laughs> right? Because everybody implicitly in each of those five churches knew that when the five churches became one, the community they had would be lost yeah. because there would be too many people. And so the proliferation of a commitment to not growing. When I hear people say words like, we're going to roll this out, <laughs> all of those ideas of how to take something that is nascent and make it magnificent, right, <laughs> is, is a huge enemy, right? Yep. Rather than thinking about supposing I know in a neighborhood people who have gotten together and done something significant, maybe if I introduce them to people in a neighborhood nearby and they got together and talked about that, Right? that something unusual might happen. But I have preserved right, the intimate knowledge of each other. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, innovation can, can take place. Right. So it's not like you're trying to stop the exchange of useful community knowledge, but it is You've got to do it in a way that always maintains the intimacy or now the empathy possibilities of scale. This has been the Common Good Podcast, conversations at the intersection of place, belonging, and remembering. You can learn more about the work of Peter, John, and Walter, as well as the Common Good Fellowship and daily food for thought emails at commongood.cc. Common Good is a collaborative production of The Hive, a center for contemplation, art, and action, and Common Change, eliminating personal economic isolation. We're produced by myself, Troy Bronsink, and Joey Taylor. Music is written and produced by Jeff Gorman. We look forward to continuing the conversation in upcoming episodes. But in case you missed them, Peter has a great idea for a medley of the entire series. I'm now about to play a medley of my hit. <laughs> 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 right. and I say thank you Jesus I'll take that yeah. Yeah. Yeah.